we're going to start with uh, reading scripture together. So if you're able, you can stand, and Jeff's going to read it for us today. The, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the cir circumcised believer criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being laid down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remember what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Then they heard this. They had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Thanks, Jeff. You guys can have a seat. I know maybe the last section wasn't on the screen there. Uh, for you guys, but we'll go through it again together. So, uh, last week, uh, it's kind of an interesting day because this sermon is on a chunk of scripture that is a repeat and a summation of the things that we, we talked about last week. So if you're here, you'll notice that this whole, most of this story is Peter just saying what happened in the last sermon, except for one key sentence. Uh, for those of you that missed last week, or, or just want a bit of a catch-up, what's going on in this particular point in Acts is that Peter is uh, hanging out in a place called Joppa, and, or Joppa, depending on how you want to pronounce it, and uh, there, he sees a vision, and it's a very complicated, kind of strange vision of sheets and animals and clean things and unclean things, uh, but what it served as was like a premonition that someone was going to go grab Peter, someone from outside the Jewish faith was going to go ask Peter to come into a space that was a place where Jews didn't go. They wouldn't go into the house of people who weren't Jewish or Gentiles. And so Peter sees this crazy premonition of a vision that pretty much gives him peace about going with these men. And what unfolds before him is something really miraculous. Uh, for the first time, Gentile believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Peter preaches the gospel. He doesn't even really start talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even get that far yet. And while he's preaching a gospel of forgiveness and repentance and basically just saying how Jesus is Lord of all, and uh, we've been talking a lot about that in this series, about you know acts where a kingdom people, where a kingdom people here and now. So Peter's just sharing that message about the, about the new kingdom, and the Holy Spirit just falls upon these Gentiles for the first time. Now what happens is that the Jewish believers are a little bit concerned about what Peter's doing. He's breaking the rules about dining with Gentiles. And Peter just basically has to go explain himself, being like, I mean, first of all, I saw this vision that was really uncanny with what, with what happened next. And uh, also, God poured out his spirit on these people. So, I mean, I guess he's doing stuff. I guess, I guess this thing is for beyond just us. I guess it's not just the Jews that Jesus came for. And I think at that point, they were willing for people to like be what's cool, what was called God-fearing, you know, like people that worship the same God. But in terms of a full inclusion, that is, that is some uh, controversial stuff for a Jew at the time. And the, the big difference between last week and this week, you know, because it's just basically summarizing the same story, what happens at the end is the Jews kind of go, they, they go, uh, they agree and they say, wow, this is good news. And they say this sentence there at the very end. It's verse 18. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, and here's the key verse, is what we're going to be focusing on today. So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Those are all very, very important words, and we're going to look at most of them today. God has granted repentance that leads to life. So, uh, it's kind of like they're saying, I'll paraphrase in like, you know, modern English. It looks like he's going to let them repent. That's what, they're, they're sitting around in a circle and like, that happened? Looks like, looks like God's going to let Gentiles repent. That's the, that's, I don't know, a more colloquial way of saying what they said. So I think it's interesting that the word repentance is used in their summation. If you read this story and you, you read the one before and then you read the summation and, that we read today, there actually isn't, the word repentance isn't even mentioned. Uh, I mean, it talks about a gospel of forgiveness and those sorts of things. But it's interesting that the Jews summarize the inclusion of Gentiles as they get to repent. I'm like, oh, it looks like God's going to let them repent. I thought that was an interesting summation. I don't want to unpack that today. So here's a prompting question for you all. Let's all get on the same page here. Wow, it's warm. Whew, it's really warm up here. Okay, did I need a paper towel or something? I don't have hair, and hair is useful to soak up sweat, if you guys don't know. People are like, oh, it must be so cool. I'm like, no, I don't have a sponge that holds the water. And hair has a very, it's designed well. Okay, here's a prompting question. What is your relationship to repentance? When you, when you hear the word repentance, what pings in you? And it could be all sorts of stuff. For me, there's a lot of things, depending on how I feel that day. But when the word repentance is mentioned, what happens in your heart? Does your, do your palms get kind of clammy? Do you get a little bit like, a, do, you, do, your, do your teeth clench? Do you jump for joy? There's lots of options. Uh, here's some ones that I wrote down, just of the, the, the responses that I have that maybe aren't so good. And maybe you can resonate with one or four of them. Uh, one of them is scary. When I hear the word repentance, it feels scary. It's like, oh, I'm going to be known and found out. When the word repentance comes, I'm like, clam up, be different, put on your mask. Scary. What about annoying? I get annoyed when someone talks about repentance again. It's like every sermon. 
It's about repentance. It's like, oh, come on already. Can we talk about something else? Sometimes I feel annoyed when repentance comes up. Optional. Anyone feel like that? It's like a bonus Christian activity. There's like the knowledge side. There's like the knowing information side of Christianity that's all very lovely. And then really advanced Christians graduate to this like really deep, emotional, cryy, weekend away repentance thing. Optional. What about heavy? Heavy. Repentance is heavy. It's like this bad news weight when we say this word. So, uh, this scene sums up how the gospel includes you and I, and they use the word repentance, so I think it's important to understand that we, that we, that we have a right relationship to that word. It seems pretty important, and I don't think scared, annoyed, optional, and heavy maybe are the best ones, although I get how we can feel that way sometimes. So, first thing I want to do is we're going to look at the sentence, we're going to unpack it. Inclusion for you and I is that we've been granted repentance that leads to life. Let's look at the word life first, because that's the one that stood out to me first. Uh, when I read that, I don't know about you, but I translate that as a better life. Do you, do you ever do that? When you read the, uh, the word life in the Bible, it's like, you know, X, Y, and Z brings life. I immediately translate in, that, in my privileged Western comfy mind to go, oh, a better life, or, or a fuller life, or a more rewarding life. Anybody else do this? Like when they see the word life? I, what I don't think is like the breath in my lungs kind of life. Like repentance that brings life, like the opposite of death kind of life. My mind doesn't go there first. It goes to like some kind of better version of the one I have now. But uh, the problem with that is that we start to sell repentance as like a gateway to good things. We're just like, oh, if you repent, your life will get better. And I think there's lots of truth to that. But that's a little bit surface. And so I think we need to go a little bit deeper today. Uh, I don't know if you've ever repented, but for me, for me, it's not because I was sitting around bored and I wanted my life to get better. Like, do you, I, and I know there's a kind of repentance where you're just sitting around and you're like, things are going pretty well, but you know, search my heart, oh God, there's gotta be something wrong. Like, there must be something wrong with me. I'm feeling pretty perfect today, but uh, hey, maybe there's something you can do. I, I know that that does happen, and that's probably a great practice to be that, you know, to, to, when, you're, when you're just wondering if there's something you should repent about, not a bad thing. However, maybe if you're like me, when true repentance happens, it's not like, oh, I feel like my, I want my life to get better. Maybe I'll try repenting. It's more like, I'm doomed. It's a moment where you're like, I'm doomed, save me. Like the kind of repentance that really changes you, you weren't sitting around and just wondering what to do today. Something happened, and there was a consequence. There was a realization. There was a conviction. Truth was brought into your life. And there's, a, there's an awareness of the needing of a savior and of a better plan. And it's, uh, that's, that's where I find we mostly repent. And so what I think we need to understand about the context, when, when, when the Jews are saying repentance that brings to life, what they're thinking, like the word life for them is literal. They're not thinking about so much a better life, although it includes that. They're saying a repentance that actually helps you to not die. Now, in that time, we have to get inside their heads a little bit. Everyone in that time has a construct that when a new king comes, like when a new king comes to town in that day and age, there is a grand tribulation and the enemies of that kingdom are destroyed. 
That's the reality they're living in. So when you have a new king come to town, and there's a war, and there's a battle, and you're on the losing side of that, I don't know, being taken as a slave is like your best option. I don't know, maybe you'd, people would prefer death at times to then be taken in captivity. Like that, that's when, the, so the, when, there's, when Peter's preaching to them going, there's a new Lord in town, they're going, oh, a new Lord, a new king? I know what that means. I know what that means. There's been new lords and new kings in my life or in very recent history, and it did not go well for the people on the losing side. That is the construct that they're hearing. There's a new lord in town. That's, that's their frame of reference. So Jewish believers in that time are fully aware that the coming Messiah that they've been waiting for for a very long time was going to come back and vanquish his enemies. So when they hear when they hear repentance that brings life, they're like, yeah, life, like not being vanquished kind of life. <laughs> they had a very extreme understanding of the coming Messiah. And they were expecting a guy on a horse that was going to come and kill all the Romans. They got Jesus, who inverted the whole script and came and served. And, you know, they, he pulled a fast one on them. It wasn't exactly what they looked like. But they were expecting someone who was going to save them and, like, not... <laughs> be king over some and not king over others. And I want to be on that side. And the Romans, who this sermon is addressed to, know better than anyone that, I mean, they saw Caesar as God, and when Caesar came to town, you worship him, or your unfortunate things happen to you. So it's almost as though the Jews at the end of all of this are going, huh, it looks like God's going to let the Gentiles live. It's like, oh, he's going to grant them repentance that leads to life. Wow, that's crazy. I thought he was going to vanquish them all. Could have sworn. Could have sworn we were the chosen people. God was going to use us. This is wild stuff for them going, man, you mean this gospel thing? <laughs> you mean this whole repentance thing is for everybody? Like it's everyone can live? Everyone can live underneath this new kingdom. This, this is why it's so shocking to them. It's why they're so mad at Peter going, what are you doing? This is an us thing. And they're going, huh. He's going to let him live. No way. So Cornelius' household in the story we looked at last week is saying there's a new king that isn't Caesar and I want to live. And so Peter's preaching repentance and this is great news. So I want to ask you a question. I, is, is the idea of repentance literal to you or is it figurative? Like is it literal, the idea of life, is it, is it literal to you? Like real life, like eternal life? Or is it figurative, like a better life? When you think about repentance, you think about it being the way we receive salvation in a way that conquers the literal grave. <laughs> the literal grave is what's being like, offered to be conquered. It's incredible. And I think this is important to know because I use repentance as self-improvement a lot. Do you guys do this? We use repentance as a self-improvement tactic? I don't, think, I don't think repentance was designed for self-improvement. It doesn't work that way. I want to put a uh, Bible verse up there for you. Need something? Oh, look at you. That was close. Anybody else seeing that? Yeah, everybody. Thank you. Uh, people weren't listening very well for the last 30 seconds. Now I know why. Whew. All right. I want to put a verse up there. Can you put the 2 Corinthians verse up for me? This is a, this is a verse Paul talking about repentance in a way that I think is helpful for us today. <clears throat> uh, context, Paul wrote a letter in 1 Corinthians, kind of harsh, 
He was really reprimanding them for a bunch of stuff. Second Corinthians, he's kind of, yeah, he's addressing the fact that his last letter was a little confrontative. <clears throat> Paul says this, even though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet, now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, interesting word, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So you hear salvation in this verse is being contrasted with death. Salvation really is life, hey? It's not just a better life, it's life itself. It's important to know that. So Paul is saying that true repentance brings life, but worldly repentance brings death. Why? Why does worldly repentance bring death? Well, I think worldly sorrow, if we're going to sum it up, is just feeling bad that you're not awesome. When you do something wrong, you know it, and we feel upset about that, and we have a, I have hissy fits when that happens, and uh, I'm bummed out that I'm not as awesome as I thought I was. That's worldly sorrow. This happens, um, uh, Steph is really good at pointing this out in me. And she's, she, st- she goes, are you, like, are you like repentant or are you just mad that you weren't awesome? <laughs> I, that's a great question to be asked when you're in the bottom of a pit. It's so fun. Are you just upset that you're not as great as you thought you were? Are you actually repentant right now? Like, do you want to change? Or <laughs> Nobody told me this is what marriage was like. But this is, this is what it's like. And uh, I'm, it's, it's amazing the way that she'll see my heart in a way that I think God sees our heart even more on their own. We're like, are you sorry that you're not doing so hot? Or is there a godly sorrow in you that could lead to life because repentance stopped being about improving yourself and repentance started to be about the dethroning of yourself and your own pride, which is what saves you from death. Like, you can't, uh, I, I think pride is what conflates, it's what turns godly sorrow into just feeling bad that you're not awesome. It's, it's, it's pride, it's, it's turned inward, it's looking at yourself. And so Paul in this verse is going, I'm really glad, I'm really glad that you were hurt for a second, but not harmed. Because you saw that moment as a way to see the pride in your own heart. And now you're not just better for it, you're saved. You're saved from yourself because your pride is what's going to alienate you from God now and more importantly, for eternity. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with your, your being a little upset. So I wonder sometimes about how much our repentance is motivated by self-improvement. I think a lot. I think more than I I realize. And so then no wonder it feels heavy. If my repentance is to try to have a better life and to try to look more awesome and to try to trim away the things I don't so much appreciate as I build my kingdom and build my statue and polish my masks and work on my own little kingdom, if I'm using repentance that way and then more and more repentance is preached it will feel heavier and heavier and heavier. 
there will be more to do, more things to trim, more parts of you to shine up for everybody else. Because we're not viewing repentance as something that brings real life, that requires the death of our flesh. We're seeing it as an additive bonus activity that may or may not be helpful right now, depending on how I'm feeling, which is just another way of our pride building our own stuff in just a little bit more of a Christian way, in a way that just looks nice and pious to the people around us. But maybe like Steph (laughs) pointing it out in me, God would want to say, are you repentant or are you just upset that you're not awesome? So pride is what prevents godly sorrow from really taking root in our hearts. And I think every sermon will start to feel heavy. I think it will. So there's one more word I want to look at in this passage. And, you know, you don't want to say this every sermon, but like sometimes something jumps out at you and you're like, wow, that's new and fresh and helpful for me personally. And that happened to me this week. And so I want to, I want to share this with you. I really feel like God has something for us. And I want to look at the word granted in this verse. I'm going to read it for you one more time, just because I know it's not on the screen. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even Gentiles, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Granted. Repentance is described as being granted by God. Don't you think of uh, repentance as something you just do normally? Isn't that something like you drum up? Like when you're really feeling it on the freedom retreat and you're in a small group and you're nothing better to do because that's what the what hour was allotted for and you're like, okay, here we go. It's a repentance moment. Something you drum up. What do you think about the idea that it's granted to you? I think we have a lost aspect of repentance in our culture and it's this, that it's even an option for us. We don't think about that. We're so entitled. Can you believe that repentance is an option for the coming king who has a kingdom on its way that you don't belong in by your own efforts, that you're the enemy of, that your sin nature has no part in? Can you believe that repentance is an option for this? (laughs) He's Lord of all, regardless of how you feel today. He's coming, he's establishing his perfect kingdom, his covenant's gonna be kept. The original plan to restore Eden, to restore heaven to earth is happening and it's on its way. Here in part now and fully soon, whatever soon means. And that's happening regardless of how you feel. And the only thing separating us from that is repentance. Like, can you believe that's an option? Is it, or has it lost its, has it lost its uh, awe for you that, that repentance could be the way that we get in? It's extremely good news that it's not more complicated. It's extremely good news that extinguishment is not on the table, that slavery, continued slavery of some form is not on the table, continued servitude, being indebted, not on the table. That is not part of his kingdom. It's just repentance. So, with an invading king, most kings, with an invading king, you got slavery or death or something on your way, especially in that time. And ancient people knew this all too well. So Jesus could have been, thank goodness that he's not, 
One of those kings that conquers and wipes out his enemies, which I think is you and me. I think it's me every day. I think I'm an enemy of Eden, and I make the same choices that Adam and Eve did every day of thinking I can be a better God than God. And I ruin it every day. Instead, instead, here's the deal. And I think it's good to visualize this. You did a great visualization a few weeks ago with the border guard. Um, so here's the deal. The invading king comes to town. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around this, but not for this audience who this is written to. Instead, here's the deal. The king comes to town. He sits you down personally, okay? He sits you down personally. Huge nation, but he sat with you. And he says, I want to include you. I want to include you in this, what I'm doing here. Okay, so that's already a wow. No, the sit down with you personally is already incredible. And he says, I want to include you. This is actually about, this is going to be good for you that I'm king. Uh, then he says, this kingdom is perfect because I'm in charge of it and I'm only good and I am love and this is going to be really great. It's a perfect kingdom. Uh, small pause on some bad news. Uh, because you're not perfect, sorry, you can't actually be part of this. Technically speaking, technically speaking, I actually shouldn't let you in, technically speaking. Then he says, but I got good news for you. I've made a way for you personally to be a part of this, and it costs me my life. I, the conquering king, I, the conquering king, have already paid the price for you personally to belong to this. Here's the deal. If you repent of the pride of your own life and believe in me, and listen to me, submit to me, it's all yours. That's it. That's it? I think we need to flip the script on this whole repentance being heavy thing. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of repentance being viewed as this heavy thing. I get that it's real. I get that it's, I get that it's full of substance. I get that it's powerful. I get that it's life-changing. But the idea that it's heavy, it's the opposite of heavy. Heavy is... Heavy is, that conversation is, here's the 78,000 new things you need to do to be part of this kingdom. And if you don't follow them perfectly, you're out. That's heavy. Repentance is not heavy. Repentance is taking every single condition and steamrolling them for access to your heart, willingly choosing to have the savior you were designed to have. That's not heavy. It's extremely good news. And so the Jews go, Looks like God is going to grant repentance to even the Gentiles. I think we should be floored that repentance is even an option. So next time you complain about the gospel being heavy, just like I do, lots of Sundays when good sermons are preached, I complain that it's heavy. I think I complain that it's heavy because my pride was confronted. I think I complain that it's heavy because it's not going to work for the self-improvement model. I think my pride was confronted, and so I call it heavy so that the things happening on stage get tweaked a little bit to make me less comfortable, to make me more comfortable, when really the reality of the good news is being presented. So next time you complain like I do about repentance being heavy, I think it might be important to remember that it's extremely good news that repentance is an option at all. And that salvation was a free gift that we get to choose to have. And so I don't know what repentance looks like for you today, because we do it every day. 
because we need to do it every day because we want to be free every day? Don't you want to be free every day? Don't you want to belong to the kingdom that's eternal every day? I do. And I want God to grant me repentance again today. I'm almost done, but just a, something I thought of is uh, I get, I'm taking a, a course, right? I just finished in my master's degree on pneumatology, which is a fancy word for the study of the Holy Spirit. And it's been really interesting. Who's the Holy Spirit? What's he do? What's his role? Uh, there's actually, I don't know, I just never spent a bunch of time thinking about, you know, we have a construct for what sons are like and what fathers are like, but the the third person of the Trinity kind of gets overlooked because we don't have like a good human analog for what those relationships look like, and he kind of gets overlooked a lot. And we just spent a bunch of time thinking about what the Holy Spirit does. And uh, our professor, he's a really smart guy, one of the pastors in every nation who's doing his PhD in this, um, says that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to always make much of Christ. He's always making much of Christ. In this very background, humble role, he's elevating the work of Christ. He's elevating, he's elevating the work of Christ in your and my life. He's making him known. He's making him great. He's making him famous. He's, he's, he's advancing. He's always pointing us towards that work. And so what I find helpful about that is we have the Holy Spirit's help as our advocate and our helper to go, Holy Spirit, would you help repentance feel granted to me again? Holy Spirit, would you make much of of Christ's work again in my life? Would you buy your miraculous, (laughs) in a miraculous way, my heart is hard. Uh, Steph and I are doing premarital counseling for uh, the future Rovas, and we've only been married for two years, so I don't know why you guys let us do it, but... uh, we're getting a great tune-up. It's like, oh, we just learned that last week. Here, let me tell you about how that works. Um, but uh, we, Steph reminded me of one of the things that we learned really early on that was so helpful for us. And uh, we learned this practice really early when we were having a, you know, an argument or something or we weren't hearing each other. We started telling each other when our heart feels hard. It's actually really hard to say that out loud. But when you know that you're doing the self-improvement thing and you know that the other person's going, you just think you're not awesome, I just say that. I just say it out loud. I'm like, hey, uh, my heart's hard and I hate that I look bad. My heart's hard and I hate that I look bad. And you say it out loud. And I feel like the humility that it even takes to say it, the Holy Spirit rushes in and goes, I'm in charge again and whoosh. Your heart's soft again. You humble yourself for half a second. But and it's not even miraculous. You're not even looking that great. You're just admitting your heart's hard. That's all you're doing. Admit your heart's hard. And the Holy Spirit goes, wow, you've given me an, an ounce of control and relinquish control for half a second. And his Holy Spirit comes and empowers you and you're, and you're led into repentance that's the lightest blessing that unites you and your spouse is the least of it. It's you're aware of your salvation again. And that, ah, it's miraculous what the Holy Spirit can do when we humble our hearts. And I think he's just after us. He's granting us repentance. He wants you to belong. He wants you in. And he sends the Holy Spirit to go, could you help them do that? Because they're really fickle people. I know that. Their hearts are hard. But we have an advocate. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And then I want to pray for us in this way. I don't know if there's something in your heart, in your life, that you're thinking about going like, oh, my heart feels hard here in this particular place. My heart feels hard. Then maybe there's a moment right now just to tell God that. Really practical. It doesn't, you don't even have to be insightful. You don't even have to have it figured out. Just tell him. 
Just tell him, Lord, my heart's hard. And I know that you're in charge. And I know that you're coming and that you're here and that you're a better leader than me. And my heart feels hard. So Lord, I pray that you would, right now, by your spirit, I pray that you just blow through this place with a, with a kind of kindness that leads us to repentance. Like that king sitting across the table that says, I want to include you and I've made a way. I want to include you in a perfect kingdom and it has nothing to do with the rules that you keep perfectly. I, don't, I want to include you in a loving relationship where there's nothing between us and I'm the one that makes up the gap. I want to involve you in the kind of love that's experienced amongst the Godhead of no effort of your own, just by receiving, just by humbling yourself and receiving. Father, would that just be the most beautiful, light, and easy truth that's offered to your children? Lord, we come against this idea that your gospel of repentance is somehow bad news. It is not bad news. It is salvation because it brings life. Lord, thank you for granting us the whole world. 2,000 years later, so far beyond Jerusalem, you've granted us all the option of repentance. And so we choose it now. We choose it now again. And would you bring to mind an area where our heart feels hard, not to embarrass us, not to expose us, but to provide another conduit for your spirit to work its miraculous work of bringing us to repentance, bringing us before you. So Lord, we choose to worship you as the good God that you are, as the incredible God that went to such amazing lengths to set us free. So Father, thank you that we're free. Thank you that we're free in every sense. And if there's weight here from religiosity, I pray that you'd lift that off. Holy Spirit, we have no room for a spirit of religiosity would wanna add weight to our shoulders, that would wanna add rules, that would wanna add self-improvement as any part of the gospel. Instead, we choose humility. Instead, we choose repentance. Instead, we choose your gospel. So we worship you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.